Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Happy New Year and welcome to 2021. I I saw a meme the other day that said, be careful, now 2020 can legally drink because it turned 21. (laughs) Oh man, I've always been a little bit leery though of assuming that things will change too much just because we flip the page on the calendar. I mean, really, what's the difference between December 31st, 2020 and January 1st of 2021. Not a whole lot. But I do think the flipping of the calendar at the beginning of a new year, it gives us the chance to evaluate. It gives us a chance to think about the direction our life is going, the things that are important to us, some of our hopes and some of our dreams for what the next 12 months will look like. And it sort of allows us to take inventory of the way that our lives are going. And as I've done that, there's a word that has sort of stood out to me that I think God wants us to press into as a community of faith in 2021. Here's the word. The word is rebuild. Rebuild. In so many ways, stress reveals some of the deficiencies in our life. It shows us some of the areas that are lacking. And I think 2020 did that for us. In that way, 2020 is a gift. I mean, it showed us some of the stressors that are going on underneath the surface in our nation, in our community, in our church, and even in our own personal lives. I think 2020 revealed some of the ways that God wants to strengthen us, that God wants to build us, that God wants to heal us. You know, as you think about this word rebuild, I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a sports fan and, and I'm, a, I'm a Colorado Rockies fan. I've heard a lot about rebuilding. You, you Padre fans have heard the same, right? Rebuilding is when we take a step back and evaluate We put together some pieces that will help us move together in strength. A rebuilding year is oftentimes looked at and and it means that there might be some temporary pain that's followed by some sustaining momentum. And I believe that that's exactly what God wants to do in our nation, in our community, in our church, and in our lives in the coming year. And as I thought about that word rebuild, there was one story in the scriptures that came back to mind. It's a story about a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah's whole life, his whole mission, his calling was built around rebuilding. And over the next five weeks together, we're we're not going to teach through the entire book of Nehemiah like we did with Daniel, but we're going to follow a few key themes. And they're themes that I sense the Spirit wanting us to push into as a community of faith. The series that we're jumping into is is called Rebuild My Life. And the five areas that I sense God inviting us to rebuild are rebuilding our priorities, rebuilding our generosity, rebuilding our celebration, rebuilding our devotion, 
And today I want to start with rebuilding our vision, rebuilding our vision. And for every single person that walks the face of the globe, vision is of the utmost importance. The author of Proverbs put it like this. He wrote, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You could even say it like this. When there is no vision for family and faithfulness, marriages often trend towards divorce. Where there is no vision for financial freedom, people tend toward debt. When there is no vision for why you're here on earth, people often end up hopeless. That's what the author of Proverbs is saying when he says that when there is no vision, the, the people perish because vision is like the propeller on an airplane. It's the thing that keeps us moving forward. It's our motivation center. See, everybody longs for vision and everybody needs vision in order to live faithful and focused. And if you're wondering, right, how in the world would you define that word vision? Here's how I would define it today. And I would invite you to write this down because we all need this. We all need this. See, a personal vision is our expectation of the way God's power will work in and through us to bring about renewal. Let me say that again while you're writing it down. A personal vision is our expectation of the way God's power will work in and through us in order to bring about renewal. See, we need vision to empower us to live faithfully, but the problem is that vision is easy to lose. It's especially easy to lose in a year like 2020. I mean, when you're focused on survival, it can be difficult to look toward renewal. When you're in pain, we can have the tendency to become fatalistic. I mean, this happens to even some of the best leaders that the history of the world has ever seen. One of those is Moses. He's one of the best leaders the Israelites ever had. He led the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the promised land. And then things got really, really difficult. And listen to what he said. He said in Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, I'm not able to carry these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Moses is talking to God. A little bit melodramatic, don't you think? I mean, just take me down now. If I've found favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. I mean, Moses is going, the burden of putting one foot in front of the other day after day, leading these people is too difficult for me. And so Moses shows us that pain can prevent us from living with vision. And I think 2020's done that for us. I think it's okay to name that. I got to some time, some moments in 2020 where I just felt like, God, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to lead anymore. I don't want to keep going through the motions of remembering my mask when I get out of my car. I, I, God, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And in those moments, it can be easy to see the way that God wants to infuse your life with his power to bring about renewal. But today, here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through the first chapter of Nehemiah. And I want to point out the way that Nehemiah clings to vision that would bring about renewal. 
in a way that I feel like is applicable for us in our moment as we step into 2021. Because I'm believing, and I want you to believe with me, I'm believing that God has great things in store for us in the coming 12 months. And I think Nehemiah wants to teach us how to rebuild our vision so that we can launch into the new year with God's sustaining power behind us. So open your Bible with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. And Nehemiah is going to be our rebuild guide over the next few weeks. See, Nehemiah was written roughly 150 years after Daniel was taken into captivity into the land of the Babylonians. Uh, He is writing when some of the Israelites have had the chance to go back to Jerusalem after exile to start rebuilding the temple. But as we're going to find out, Nehemiah is going to come to the realization that the city is still destroyed. It's in shambles. And listen to the way that his book begins. It says this in verse 1. Now the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So these are the Jews that had gone back in roughly 538 BC, 50,000 of them under the reign of King Darius to start rebuilding the city. And Nehemiah goes, hey, so how is Jerusalem? What's what's going on there? Uh, How's the city doing? And listen to what they say. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now that's not a good thing in the ancient world to live in a city with no wall. That was their primary way of defending themselves against enemies and against bandits that would come in and attack the city. So to have no wall meant that they were vulnerable. It meant that they were in shame in many ways, and it meant that they were on the verge of being defeated. The ancient historian Josephus wrote about the city in that time like this. He said this, They were in a bad state, for their walls were thrown down to the ground, and that neighboring nations did a great deal of mischief to the Jews. While in the daytime they overran the country and pillaged it, and in the night they did mischief, and so much that not a few were led away captive out of the country and out of Jerusalem itself, and the roads were in the daytime found full of dead men. That's not exactly a flourishing city. They are in trouble. Now, here's what I want to point out as we begin our journey towards rebuilding our vision. That rebuilding our vision usually begins with God putting his finger on places in our life that are vulnerable and that often cause shame to rise up in our souls. That's exactly where Nehemiah's renewed and rebuilt vision begins. With a city that's in shambles, with a city that's vulnerable, and with a city that is in shame. And he will often work the same way in our lives. But here's the question that Nehemiah has to wrestle with, and it's the same question that you and I have to wrestle with today. Will I look at the 
life around me, the people around me, the situation around me, and will I acknowledge reality or will I bury my head in the sand and try to ignore it? Will Nehemiah trust what he's being told about this city or will he do his best to ignore reality? See, we ignore reality in a ton of different ways because sometimes reality can be a tough pill to swallow. So instead of acknowledging it, we'll minimize it. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. We'll, we'll compare to other people. Well, well, they're way worse than me. So uh, there's no issue that I have to deal with. We'll blame other people. Not my fault. We'll criticize other people. Have you seen what they're doing? It's called the red herring approach, right? So deflect, put the spotlight on somebody else so I don't have to deal with the junk in my life. We'll get defensive. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm working this much because it's my job, right? Or we'll commit. This is what we do around the first of every year. We commit to progress. We see the areas in our life that are deficient and we go, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to overcome, fill in the blank. As Adelis Huxley once wrote, he said, facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. And I think that God is challenging us today to look at our lives honestly. And, to, and I'd invite you to write this down. This is the first step towards rebuilding our vision, to acknowledge reality. To acknowledge reality. See, brokenness gets in all of us. It's part of being human and living in a fallen world. But friends, the reality is we cannot overcome what we refuse to admit. And that's why Jesus was so adamant about calling people to deal with reality. He would say things like, don't look at the plank in your, uh, don't look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and ignore the plank in your own eye. Or he would say to the Pharisees things like, you spend so much time washing the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is what's defiling your whole person. He wanted them to come to terms with what actually was. And on my spiritual journey, walking with Jesus over the last, I don't know, 22 years now, one of the convictions that I've come to hold most deeply to is the reality that Jesus only meets us where we actually are, not where we should be or not where we think we should be, but where we actually are. And that's why he's constantly challenging people to acknowledge reality because he knows that's where real, true, honest transformation actually begins. That's the power behind programs like Set Free and AA. They begin with the acknowledgement, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And that's the foundation for growing toward wholeness. In his prolific book, Good to Great, Jim Collins wrote about what he called the Stockdale Paradox. The name refers to a high-ranking military official who was imprisoned as a POW during the Vietnam War. During that eight-year period that he was imprisoned, he was tortured and beaten over 20 times. And Jim Collins had the chance to interview him later, and he asked him, who didn't make it out? Stockdale's answer was fascinating because he responded, the optimists. And Collins thought, well, that's strange because you seem like an optimist. And so Stockdale clarified what he meant. And here's what he said. He said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, 
with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And so here's what Stockdale's saying from the trenches. He's saying, you've got to manage the tension of hope and reality of the dreams that God has put in your heart that you will make it through and the reality of the current landscape of your life, what actually is. So let me ask you a question. What actually is in your life? What's the reality of your life? What's the reality of your health? What's the reality of your job life? What's the reality of your relationships? If you're married, what's the reality of your marriage? How would you describe your marriage? Ask your spouse what they would say. What's the current reality in your life right now? If you're a follower of Jesus, what's the current reality in your walk with the Lord? Maybe you even start to look a little bit deeper and you ask, God, what are some of the things, Spirit of God, what are some of the things that you're bringing up that you want me to look at and name? Am I an angry person? Am I, am I bitter? Am I harsh with the people around me? Am I gossiping about other people? Has my heart grown cold? I mean, ask the Spirit of God what reality He wants you to see and name. I'm confident that he will answer that prayer. But look at what Nehemiah does next. In verse four, here's what he writes. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah, as we're gonna see, is this stud of a builder and a leader. And what does he do when he sees reality? He weeps, he mourns. He, he takes it all to heart. I don't know about you, but I have the tendency to be okay at naming reality sometimes, <laughs> but I also have the tendency to distance myself emotionally. I've told myself the lie for a lot of years. What's it gonna matter if I weep over something? That's not gonna do any good. Like, like let's just get on with trying to fix it. My counselor actually corrected me one time and said, actually, Ryan, those tears are part of the way that God heals. And unless you allow yourself to engage emotionally, and unless you allow that that lament to pass through your body, it's just going to get all stopped up inside of you. And it won't just stop the flow of pain. It'll actually stop the flow of joy also. You see, some of you grew up in religious households that minimized emotions and pushed faith above emotions as if they were in opposition to each other. But the reality is that emotions are part of being human. We can't deny our emotions any more than we can deny our need for air or our need for food. And if we're going to be emotionally healthy, healthy people, we need to acknowledge and we need to name our emotions. The emotions that go unacknowledged and unnamed are actually the emotions that remain in control over us. We see people expressing emotion all throughout scripture. I mean, Joseph weeps when he sees his brothers. Jeremiah weeps over Jerusalem. Paul weeps when he says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Jesus weeps as he looks over 
Jerusalem. It's, it's why the psalmist will challenge us in Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him, speaking of God, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. See, here's the reality, friends. We do not encounter God by ignoring our feelings, but rather by engaging them in a healthy way. And this is step number two towards rebuilding our vision. We have to engage emotionally. I love the way that John Ortberg said it. He said, it is better to be an honest mess before God than a dishonest saint. As you look back over this last year, can I encourage you not just to acknowledge reality, but to lament. There's some things, my guess is there's some things that were beautiful and amazing that God did even in the midst of chaos. Name that. But also name the the sort of the downturns. Name and lament and engage emotionally over some of the things that you lost. Some of the things that died in 2020. In order to move forward, we have to be willing to engage our emotions. So as our guide for rebuilding, Nehemiah has taught us we have to acknowledge reality and we have to engage emotionally. And then listen to what he says next, starting in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, Nehemiah is going to start to push into God's character. He uses what I think is my favorite word in the entire Bible. In the Hebrew, it's the word chesed. It means loving kindness, covenantal faithfulness. It means that even when we fail, God is faithful. When we let God down, he will not let us go. That's what chesed means. And so Nehemiah begins this journey of rebuilding by saying, God, I just want to remember what you're like. And as you acknowledge reality, maybe some of the areas you failed, and as you engage emotionally, we have got to have under us as a foundation the character of God. His love is strong. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for, the, for your people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Time out there. So here's what he does. He acknowledges God's character and then he confesses his sin. God, we've sinned. We've acted corruptly. We've let you down. We've let the people around us down. And confession is part of acknowledging reality, but it's acknowledging reality back to God. God, this is truly who I've been. But listen to verse 9. But you, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, even though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. 
And so Nehemiah ends this section by calling on God's faithfulness. He begins with God's character and love. He confesses his sins, sin, and then he calls on God's faithfulness. I think this is where the power lies. When we hold on one hand our failure and honestly look at it and call it, confess it back to God. And on the other hand, we hold on to God's character and God's faithfulness. And we say to God, remember who you are. See, we need God's faithfulness most when we fail the biggest. And it's often when we turn away from God. Nehemiah is teaching us a better way. So here's the third thing towards rebuilding our vision that we need to just get in our hearts. We need to remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. We need to call on God's faithfulness. And I don't know what this last year has held for you in COVID or the economy. Maybe your life fell off the rails a little bit. I don't know, but I do know this. You are not beyond the reach of the grace of God. Nehemiah is calling on God's grace when his people are scattered all throughout the world and the city that his forefathers helped build is absolutely destroyed. And he's going, God, we need to see you move. I know, I know, I know that your life is not beyond the power of God. And part of recapturing our vision is regrounding ourselves in God's faithfulness. I love the way that the song, Not Afraid, puts it. They wrote this, I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God, the still inside the storm, the promise of the shore. I trust the power of your word enough to seek your kingdom first beyond the barren place, beyond the ocean waves. So please hear me, friends. Our vision for rebuilding our life doesn't come from our own power or our own goodness. It is found solely in God's grace and mercy, not in ourselves. We don't look at the broken down wall and go, well, what resources do I have to fix this? How can I make it better? No, no, no. We acknowledge reality. We confess our sin. We lament over what is, and we call on the faithfulness of God. I mean, repeat this after me. I don't have to rebuild in my own power, okay? Just say it, really, say it. If you're in a coffee shop, say it. If you're on a couch, say it. I don't have to rebuild in my own power. No, as the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you want to see God's power in your life in 2021, then you've got to embrace your weakness. You've got to embrace your weakness. But that doesn't mean that we do nothing, okay? So I want us to get that. That doesn't mean we just sit on our hands and go, "Mm, well, oh well. Nehemiah actually creates a framework for us to step into as we call on the faithfulness of God. And my hope is that we get to the exact same place that Nehemiah got to. Listen to the way that he said it, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, now just a quick time out, sort of a fun side note, this is four months after Nehemiah acknowledged reality and engaged emotionally. 
I don't know if he's weeping and fasting or lamenting for that whole time, but four months since he heard about the broken down wall. When the wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. See, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. Now, Nehemiah is afraid because people usually were killed if they were sad in the presence of the king. The king liked to keep it light, liked to keep it happy. And when you were sad in his presence, you just might lose your head. Nehemiah didn't usually do that. So I said to the king, verse 3, Let the king live forever. Why should, my, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Okay. Now this is where, if this were a movie, the drum roll would start to happen, right? What's going to happen? Nehemiah pauses to pray. How's the king going to respond? How's Nehemiah, is Nehemiah going to be honest with the king about what he wants to see? Verse five. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Can I invite you, if you have your own Bible with you, to just underline those last few words, that I may rebuild it. That's where the theme for this whole series comes from. The next few weeks, as we look at rebuild my life, it comes out of Nehemiah's call to the king. Artaxerxes, let, let me go and rebuild the city of my forefathers. You see, in embracing this mission, Nehemiah is saying no to a number of things. He's saying no to living in the past. Oh, those were just the good old days. He's saying no to being cynical. It'll never be quite as good as it was before. He's saying no to comfort. He has this pretty posh job as a cupbearer to the king. And he's saying no to being fatalistic. We could never do that. Now, I love the way that Nehemiah forces us to be people of vision and to be people of vision means, and I'd invite you to write this down, that we embrace mission, that we embrace mission. So let's review the four things really quick. We, first of all, acknowledge reality. We engage emotionally. We remember God's faithfulness and we embrace mission. And let me point out to you that Nehemiah's mission is ambitious. I mean, he's going, I want to go build a wall around a massive city that's 500 miles away, by the way, okay, without any resources and without any plan. Ha <laughs> ha! I mean, that's awesome. He is ambitious. I've got repairs on my deck that I don't want to do because it's just too big of a job, right? But not Nehemiah. He's going, give it to me. I'll tackle it with my God's power. He doesn't have the resources to rebuild when he starts, but he senses a prompting from God and he steps in. Here's the second thing Nehemiah's mission is. It's a risk. It's a risk. He's going to face some enemies. He's going to have some people coming against him and he knows it from the beginning, but he's willing to take a risk. What are you requesting? The king said to him, I'm requesting that you send me back to rebuild my city. And then finally, what's Nehemiah doing? He's taking ownership. He's going, this is now my vision. This is now my dream. 
This is now my life's work and my calling to be somebody who's rebuilding. You know, as we talk about embracing mission, it can be difficult because there's so much pain all around us and even some inside of us. It can be hard to know where to start. So I think we can take our cue from Nehemiah. Nehemiah started right where he was. He he just had his eyes open to the opportunities that God brought to him. And and then he said, just like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, here I am, Lord, send me, send me. We know that for those who follow Jesus, you know, our our mission is to make disciples wherever we go, but there's some unique things God is going to call you to in 2021. And my prayer for you is that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear where the spirit is stirring you and where he's calling you to move, even when it's really, really difficult. You know, the mission may look like a beaten down wall. It may look like a broken down business. It may look like a marriage that's on the rocks, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean God isn't calling you to it. I love the picture of difficult mission when I I think about Sir Ernest Shackleton, who in 1900 put an ad in the London newspaper. It said this, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in the event of success. (laughs) And the mission in front of you may look and feel the same way, but I believe, I believe that as we begin 2021, God is inviting us to step into the rubble with vision for the way that his power in us might lead to renewal. Can I invite you to write this down as we close our time together today? Enter into 2021 with vision because God's power lives in you. Let Nehemiah be your guide to acknowledge reality, to embrace emotion, to remember God's faithfulness, and then to embrace the mission that is in front of us. You know, tomorrow our daily devotion writing team is going to send out via email uh, a a devotion that's going to walk you through a process to look back over the last year and by God's power process some of the things that you've walked through. Hopefully there will be some some healing, but also our hope is that it will give you vision for how to step into 2021, believing that God has great things in store. If you're not signed up for our daily devotions, I'd encourage you to do so today so you get that email tomorrow morning. But let's pray as we close our time and let's ask the Spirit of God to stir our hearts with vision. So Lord, I lift up my friends that are watching and listening. God, wherever they are, my prayer would be that you would remind them of your power that lives inside of them and that you would remind them that you're at work bringing about renewal. God, give us vision for the ways that our lives can intersect with the renewal that you want to bring. Lord, for the people that are are engaged here where 2020 has been a really difficult year, God, would you help them acknowledge reality and to embrace the emotion that comes along with the brokenness of living in this world? 
God, we don't want to ignore those things. We want to look them dead in the eye, believing that you're good and that you're at work even then. God, help us call on your faithfulness. And then, Lord, our prayer would be that we would respond just like Nehemiah. God, send us. Send us into the rubble that by your power and by your grace, we might be used as people that would bring about renewal, rebuilding hope where there currently is rubble, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.